1 Corinthians chapter 6. Have you ever had someone make a particular statement and without really thinking you blurt out that one word question, what? You've done that? That's how verse 19 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 begins. What? What did you say? What are you suggesting? What do you believe? What is your opinion? What? Actually, there are several statements that cause the Apostle Paul here to ask in disbelief and in astonishment the, the question, what? In this chapter, the Apostle Paul has been dealing with the sins of the flesh, particularly with the sins of fornication and adultery. Now, the term fornication means sexual relations between people not married to one another. And then the term adultery means sexual relations or intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. Pretty straightforward definitions. And I'll just let you know right now, I'm not preaching this morning on the subject of sexual sins. But I am preaching on the reason we should avoid them and every kind of sin for that matter. And that brings about a great dilemma for us because how can one who is sin not sin? We know that sin comes from within. Every believer can say with the Apostle Paul, for I know that in me, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good things. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. We, we want to do what's right, we want to do what's good, but we can't find the will within us to perform those good things. And just the same, every believer can agree with the Lord when he said, for out of the heart from within proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. They come from within come from within. We're not sinners because we sin. I know you've heard this definition many times. We sin because we are sinners and sin reveals what we truly are. Now here in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, now the body is not for fornication, but the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 14, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his own power. God raised up the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead as we saw last week and he'll also raise his people up by the same power. And our bodies will be raised glorious, incorruptible and they, they were never made for fornication or to be defiled with such 
uncleanness. Our bodies were meant to serve God as we are to serve Him with our hearts and with our minds and with our souls. God and His wise counsel causes the Holy Spirit to dwell in us Paul said, as the earnest or as the security deposit, so to speak, or the down payment of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, so to speak, of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of God's glory. In other words, the Spirit of God certifies, it puts its stamp to the right of our heavenly inheritance. It's said to be purchased. And it was purchased for us by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit within the believer is their earnest, their down payment, their security deposit of God's inheritance to them. And this is why Paul says in verse 15, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Paul speaking to believers is saying that our bodies are not for the enjoyment of fleshly lust. It's they're for the enjoyment of the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Our bodies are members of Christ. Do we take these bodies and make them members of a harlot? And the answer, as Paul's was many times, God forbid. Then in verse 16, he says, What? (laughs) Know ye not that he, the believing sinner, which is joined to a harlot, is one body. He's one with that harlot. For two, saith he, shall be one one flesh. You become one with the one whom you join yourself in union with. Now, physically speaking, that is what Paul was referring to when he wrote about being unequally yoked. And uh, what, what does being unequally yoked together mean? Well, Paul tells us very directly in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Turn over there if you would. Hold your place here in 1 Corinthians. And look at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. I want to get this part out of the way, so to speak, so that I can show you the blessing of this passage, the encouragement that it should give you. Paul tells us here very directly, verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, to be not unequally yoked with who? With unbelievers, it said. He didn't say with criminals. He didn't say with murderers. He didn't even say with harlots. He said with unbelievers. Now, being criminals and being murderers and harlots don't help one's case in being a believer. But there will be some folks who are moral, upstanding, outstanding, caring people in this world who do not believe in and on the Lord Jesus Christ in a, in, a, in a saving way. And what Paul is saying is don't be yoked with them. But they're good folks, Paul. Don't be unequally yoked with them. Don't be attached to them. 
You don't have the same God. You don't have the same gospel. You don't have the same Christ. You don't have the same hope. And verse 14 tells us that a believer finds their righteousness in one place and the unbeliever finds theirs in an another. They cannot be equally yoked. The believer has the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Now, do you believe that? Oh, I hope you do because that's your hope. My hope is that I do have the very righteousness of Christ, that it belongs to me. And then the unbeliever has nothing but self-righteousness. It's an imagined righteousness. It's something uh, that he believes that he can offer God in order to be saved. And the scriptures call it filthy rags in the eyes of a thrice holy God. Filthy rags. Paul goes on to say, what communion, what togetherness hath light with darkness? You know, um, When, when you're in a room that's, that the light's on and you turn the lights off, it becomes dark. And when you turn the lights back on, the darkness has to leave. They can't be at the same place at the same time. Look at verse 15. And what concord or consent, what agreement hath Christ with Belial? Now, some believe that that name, Belial, if I'm saying it right, is simply another name for Satan. But the name does mean... Uh, wicked, evil, and ungodliness. So what concord, what agreement, what unity does the Lord Jesus Christ have with such a one? Well, He can't. It's impossible. It's, it, it's to be unequally yoked. What part hath he that believeth, an unbeliever, with an infidel? Paul goes on to ask. An infidel is an unbeliever, one who doesn't believe uh, in God and in Christ, or who has a different God and a different Christ, they have different gods. But the believer, the believers, uh, has the righteousness of Christ. The God of the Bible brings all these things to pass. Their God wants is trying to make salvation possible, and our God makes it certain. Big difference. Righteousness and unrighteousness has nothing in common. Light and darkness cannot be in the same place at the same time. Christ and Belial have no common ground to agree upon together. How can one rejoice in who and what they believe with one who does not believe the same things? It's pretty straightforward. Verse 16, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What has a temple of God to do with idol worship? God hates idols. For us to mingle with this world, to partake of this world's pleasures, this world's pursuits, follies, what's detestable in the sight of God. And God is a jealous God who will not share His glory with another. Now, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Here we read, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Now, every elect child of God in, uh, in their whole person, soul and body and spirit is united with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual union represented by the physical union of holy matrimony. When two 
people get married, a man and a woman get married, they, they're said to be joined together in holy matrimony. It's a, it's a union. Two flesh become one. They're one and the same. And that's why Paul tells us, for this call shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. And he goes on to say, this is a great mystery. And it is a great mystery. He said, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. The, the, the marriage union of a husband and wife is a picture and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and His church and His bride. And this is first and foremost a spiritual union between the great bridegroom and His bride, the church. And in order to remain faithful to our heavenly husband, we must, according to verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, sin in general uh, does not immediately or directly affect the body. They're, they're they're, they are without the body. Sin most of the time is. When a man steals, lies, hates, dishonest, proud, lustful, it's without the body. But not fornication nor adultery. The Lord distinguishes it here in a different way. It's, it is sin against our own body. According to Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, nothing does more hurt to the body than sexual immorality does. And the body is defiled and it's dishonored and it's disgraced by immoral conduct. And maybe it's a result of these spiritual implications. I don't know. To lay in the arms of another God. This is what I want you to see. This is what this represents. To lay in the arms of another God. To love and to trust another Jesus, which is not another to give our attention and our affection to another master. If our love is not to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, then it's nothing less than spiritual fornication and adultery. And then in verse 19, we have the second what? Paul again, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Now these things ought not to be so, to take the very bodies in which the Holy Ghost dwells, lives, and resides in, that being the believer's body, and use them for sexual immorality and fornication is a sin against our own body. How so? Because the body is the temple. It's the shrine of the Holy Ghost. We have the temple of God and it's then that the apostle, we have this temple of God in our own bodies, and it's then that the apostle gets to the real heart of the issue. So I've said all that to say this. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which also belong to God. That's our text, verses 19 and 20. Now here we have three marvelous truths about ourselves. They're truths that many have yet to learn. 
We are bought. Bought. With a price. We're purchased. Redeemed. That's another way of, that's another term. We have obtained in exchange of payment. We've been saved by a great sacrifice and effort and we are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God who purchased us. Therefore, we must glorify Him. Now we must give all magnificence and all honor and praise and worship and thanksgiving to the Lord for redeeming us with this great price, which was His blood. As an example of God's love for Israel and also for His elect people in the world, the Lord said to the prophet Hosea, you remember him? He said, you go love a woman, a harlot, an adulteress who has many lovers. I want you to love her. Love her as God loves His people and continues to love them, though they continue to turn to other gods. Go take unto yourself a wife among whores, among whoredoms. And that is what Hosea did. Do you remember that story? Oh, it's a beautiful story. What a picture it is of what Christ did concerning his people. And she, her name was Gomer. She played the harlot. She went after her lover. She followed her lovers wherever they went. And the whole time, it was Hosea, her husband, who gave her corn and silver and gold and wool and flax to clothe her nakedness while he had taken her to be his wife. He betrothed her to him forever in righteousness and in judgment and loving kindness and in mercy and faithfulness so that she would know it was he who truly loved her. But yet she gave him no mind. She continued to follow after her lovers. Hosea continued to love her in spite of her. When I think about myself and what I am by nature and that the Lord bought me, took me to be His own in spite of me, I'm humbled when I think about this. Gomer sold herself unto her profession and unto her passion and with nothing to pay, her debt soared. The law and the judgment and the justice of God demanded payment in full, so she herself had to be sold. In Hosea chapter 3, we find Gomer on the slave block auction, trying to sell herself, or actually her creditors, selling her to pay back a small percentage of what she owed. And you know who bought her? Her husband, Hosea. Hosea said, so I bought her to me. She shall no longer play the harlot. She shall not be with another man. I'm going to be her husband. That's what Christ did for us. Child of God, you and I, like Gomer, we've been bought. 
And it's been with a price and a grace, a great, great price at that. We no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We did not make ourselves. We don't preserve ourselves. Surely He who feeds and nourishes and upholds us should have our service and our dedication. And the most potent plea for servitude is not if you were made or created or if you're nourished and preserved. The greatest and most potent plea for servitude to God is you are bought. Bought. When I was a bond slave to my sin under the sentence of divine justice, Jesus Christ became my substitute. Well, he laid his back beneath the whip. That cat of nine tails should have shred the, the skin off my back, but no, it didn't because he put himself over me and took the blows for me. He gave his beard to be plucked. He gave his brow to bear the thorns. He laid his soul beneath the sword. And that brings me to the first point, which you already know what it is. The believer is bought. Bought. Buying something implies a price, doesn't it? Uh, me being bought implies a price. But when the words with a price are added, it means that it was a great price and that it was for nothing that you were purchased. It, something precious was paid for you. You were bought with a price. We were not redeemed with corruptible things, not silver or gold, no, but with what? The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. This, that is the only price that would suffice. Nothing else would pay the debt of sin. Only the blood of Christ could buy our souls from death and hell and the transaction fills angels with amazement. Angels look down upon this transaction and shake their head. They don't understand it. How can it be? It certainly ought to overwhelm us with adoring love that God Himself would shed His own blood that we might have life. And this purchasing with blood, it signifies pain. Blood was shed. Have you ever suffered acutely with pain? Yet we can't comprehend His sufferings. His hands and His feet were nailed to, to the wood of the cross. The iron nails breaking through those tender nerves through His hands and His feet. We can't comprehend His suffering. The tearing of His flesh. And then you consider the soul suffering why His desertion from God, being forsaken of God. His soul pains were greater still. Our Lord sweat, as it were, great drops of blood from the weight of our sin. Friends, it was pain that bought you. But pain alone did not and could not redeem us. It was His death that Christ paid the ransom. Christ's death was for the ungodly. 
He was made a curse for us in the presence of God denied him. And he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, the ever living one died to buy and redeem us. The only begotten bowed his head in agony. The beloved son was laid in the grave that you and I might be saved. Bought. Bought with a price. An incalculable price. An infinite price. A price given that will give eternal life. What will men pay for that? The price paid that will put sin away forever. What would a man give for that? The price paid provides perfect righteousness. It's the very blood of very God. You don't belong to yourself. This is the most significant thing that's ever happened in a sinner's life. We all look back on our life and there's things that occurred in the providence of God and we say, oh, well, this was a real good thing and this was a life-changing course and this and that. But I'm telling you the most significant thing, significant thing that's ever happened in a sinner's life why, even our birth is insignificant unless a second birth is ours. It's the most significant thing in our future existence. Our song in heaven will be, Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. Our song in heaven will be just that. Dear wretched sinner, rejoice. You're bought with a price. You know, amidst, amidst the olives of Gethsemane in Gethsemane's garden, there kneels Emmanuel, God with us. God humbled himself to become a servant, but he humbled himself further than that. He humbled himself even unto death, and he humbled himself more than that, even the death of a cross. He died as a common criminal died. Well, he was hung on a cross next to two thieves. And they bound his hands and they fastened him to a whipping post. And the scourges of that cruel Roman whip tore his flesh and the blood gushed from his wounds, from his temples where the crown of thorns, blood runs into his eyes so that he cannot see, but he knows to whom he speaks. And he says, my dear child, it's here that I bought thee with a price. Do you see him on the cross? His hands and his feet are nothing but fountains of blood. His soul is full of anguish. His, his heart is broken and there, and it's there where the soldier pierces his side with a dirty spear. And bowing down, he whispers to the believer, it's here that I bought you with a prize. The second thing is you're not your own. Your body and your spirit belong to God. I think about... <clears throat> A sheep up, up on the mountainside. It's <clears throat> it's winter time. <clears throat> that poor lamb is buried in the snow, and a wolf is nearby. 
But closer by is the shepherd. You see, the sheep belongs to him. He will not willingly lose that which belongs to him. God's sheep bears the mark of their owner and the sheep is the object of the good shepherd's care. Would any man think it a pleasure to be his own? Really? I thought about that. I can assure you that there's no tyrant as great as self. What a blessing it is that you're not your own. Self is a fierce dictator. It's a terrible oppressor. It's a horrific slave driver. Self with its sin is your worst enemy. But the Lord's yoke is easy and His burden is light. Now I can take this Bible here of mine and I can take a pen or a pen marker and I can mark in it because it's my Bible. I bought it. I paid for it. But I don't have the right to take your Bible and put marks in it. Why? Because it's not my Bible. It's yours. Is it lawful? Is it right for the Lord to do what He wills with His own? Yes. You see, it belongs to Him. We've been bought with a price and that price was His blood and we are not our own. We're His. And if I belong to Him, I must submit to His governing. Right? If I am not my own but His, I have no right to serve myself. If we live entirely for ourselves, then our goal is for our own ease, our own comfort, our own honor and will. We know nothing about our redemption by Christ. We're ignorant to the fact that we're bought with the price. From head to foot, we belong unto the Lord. We have no right to give a portion of ourselves to another. Was the death of Christ a, a fable? Is this just fairy tales that we read about in this book? Or were we really bought with a price? If my purchase is fiction, something that you only read in a book, then our belonging to God doesn't mean anything. But we've been truly bought with a price. And this day forth and forever, we are not our own. We are the Lord's. I've written about this in the bulletin. <clears throat> Teresa and I have a little dog. We love that little dog. And that little dog didn't really serve any real purpose at all in life. Doesn't. And if you have one, it's the same with you. That little dog desires to be the object of our affection. When she begs for food, she's got to be cleaned up after She's totally dependent on Teresa and I. More Teresa than me. Teresa's a woman that feeds her. Without our constant care, that little dog would die. She's our dog for one reason only. We bought her with a price. You know, uh, little worthless dogs are pretty expensive anymore. And I don't know, but from my perspective, being our dog is a is a pretty good thing. 
we go to great lengths to make sure that every need of our dog is pro provided. And despite our dog's liability, she does bring us great joy. She's always glad to see us when we return home. She desires to be with us every hour of every day. And to me, it seems that the quality of a dog's life depends greatly upon who their master is. I think our dog enjoys being our dog. Some dogs don't fare as well as other dogs do. You ever see some of these commercials with these poor animals are mistreated? Ah, it just tugs at my heart. I can't, I can't take it. But friends, I rejoice greatly that I, the dog that I am, belong to a master who constantly sees to it that I have everything that I need. And I'm telling you, I do not want to displease him. I like being my master's dog. And that's why we thirdly glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Three things here. You bought with a price. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus. You don't belong to yourself. You've been purchased. You've been bought. You don't belong. You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. You know, if a man says, I'm... I am God's. He sets himself up for public observation. People are going to be watching you. We're lights in the world intended to be looked at, no doubt. A city on a hill cannot be hid. The child of God claims to be bought with a price. The child of God says that he belongs to God. So the name of Christ is compromised if the believer behaves unseemly. As we saw this past Wednesday night in our study of Joshua, we're to take heed that we love the Lord our God. We must take heed not to bring reproach to His name. I suppose one of the greatest motivations and deterrence of sin for a believer is just that. I don't want to bring reproach to God or His gospel. Just don't. Though we have no good works in which we are to glory in, we should still bring forth fruit that shall be for the glory of our Lord. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable for us to do this. We lost all, Christ gave all. God gave us Christ. He gives Him to whosoever needs Him. Do you need Him? He gives Christ to whosoever wants Him. Do you want Him? Those who need Him and those who want Him and all that want Him need Him and that's who has Him. <laughs> and they're bought with a price. They're not their own. And because of that, they'll strive with all their hearts to glorify God in their bodies and in their spirits. And they always, even then, come short of the glory of God. No matter what we do, we always come short. But we still look to Christ 
who is our perfect substitute, and we still trust in Christ as our perfect sacrifice, and we still cling to Him and Him alone, who is our perfect Savior. And we look forward to the day when sin shall be no more. And when we see Christ at His second appearing, we shall see Him as He is. And here's the good part. We'll be just like Him. Just like Him. That's how we glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. We keep looking to Christ. We keep trusting in Him. It's our union with Him that makes us so. Because He bought us with His own precious blood. We belong to Him, not ourselves. And therefore, we glorify Him with all our being. Oh, may God be pleased for, for His own glory, for our good, and for Christ's sake to make it so. Shelley, if you would come, let's... Uh, Let's sing uh, 